Hello, and welcome to the very depressing, yes, Tom Brady just won his seventh Super Bowl episode of the Upper Bowl GM podcast. It is the very, uh, down some monies, Nick Zeraris, here after the Buccaneers put together one of the more complete performances of the NFL season against the Kansas City team that looked pretty invincible. The final score, 31-9. to Kansas City did not find the end zone a single time the entire game. They never really were able to find a rhythm. And it made for one of the more clunky, non-fluid Super Bowls of my lifetime. I'm going to get into it a little bit later, but there were quite a few similarities between this Super Bowl and Super Bowl 50, which was the Broncos and Carolina in San Francisco five years ago, which was a close game than this one. The Panthers still had a chance to win that game at the end. The Chiefs really had a hard time today getting anything going on offense, and that's ultimately going to be the story of this game, in my opinion, is that Tampa Bay's defense put together as solid a game plan as humanly possible and made it pretty much impossible for Kansas City to move the ball with any fluidity, and for the first time in a long time, The Kansas City offense was made to be the ones uncomfortable. It wasn't the defense that was facing Patrick Mahomes that was uncomfortable. Tampa Bay's defense was the winning phase of the game in this game. On the Friday preview episode, I said that of the three phases going between all of them, the biggest talent gap was between the Tampa Bay defense and the Kansas City offensive line. The pass rushers, they ate today. Shaq Barrett, JPP had a day. Vita Vea had a nice game inside. Steve McClendon, the former Jet, got like three snaps in the game, something like that. It was pretty, pretty rough from just a viewership perspective. It was not a particularly entertaining game. There weren't the flashy, oh my God, plays. There wasn't a Tyreek Hill big play. There wasn't a Travis Kelsey big play. There... Mahomes tried his damnedest to put some magic together to help his team, but they just did not have the horses today. So, with all that said as your table setter, I will see you on the other side of this drop, and if I hear Tom Brady talk about people doubting him again, I might put my head through a wall. I'll see you guys in a second. Second drive. Now it's tough to stop again. Brady, play action. Third option. End zone. Caught! Gronkowski! And with that, I'm going to start working through the thoughts I had. I was taking notes as I was watching the game. I did the thinking exercise of if I was writing the game story as a journalist at the game and I had questions to ask the players, that kind of vibe to kind of give you just how I'm thinking about a football game while I'm watching it. Because people watch football and they know what's going on, but from a journalist perspective, I think there are some things we can take away and look at the game a little bit differently than the casual observer. So here's where I'm going to start. The first thing I have here is Tampa Bay's defense set the tone for this entire game, and it was the most dominant unit I've seen play Kansas City in a number of years. I mean, San Francisco's defense in the Super Bowl last year did a good job in the first half of keeping Mahomes off balance and making him move around and to throw off balance and keeping guys locked down down the field so that no one was open, but Today, tonight, Mahomes was constantly throwing off of one foot, throwing across his body, 
having to turn his back to the defense, scramble, spin, and then heave the ball without really being able to look where he was throwing because of how strong the pass rush was. Tampa Bay pass rushers. And the thing I really wanted to point out here was a majority of the time when Tampa Bay was getting their pressure, it was only sending four. They were dropping seven in coverage, and they were getting home with four pass rushers. And that was a major advantage. Because Tyreek Hill and Kelsey weren't getting open, they're really... The dirty secret about the Kansas City offense that we all know is that their offense is so dominant because of Hill and Kelsey. When Hill and Kelsey can't get going, that's when the whole, well, we have Miko Hardman, Sammy Watkins, and Clyde edwards Elair as our other skill guys, that's where that jumps out to you, is that when those, when one and two, options one and two, can't make plays, they don't really get anything. To be frank, it was the difference in the game tonight, is that Kansas City did not do everything they could offensively. I thought they were pretty tentative at times. They really tried to wait, to thinking that it's a close game, we'll figure it out, it's fine, we've been doing this all year, eventually it'll fig- it'll click for us, and those, the big drive, the big play, it never came, and that's it sounds ridiculous to say this about a team that's been as consistently good about the Chiefs as the Chiefs have been for the last two years. I mean, they've won, they've won 25 of Mahomes' last 27 starts, including the Super Bowl. This is a pretty good offense. But like we often say, if a big play offense does not get those big plays to keep the defense off balance... They have a hard time doing stuff underneath and incrementally working their way up the field. It's not a consistent thing. If they play this game ten times, Tampa Bay probably wins six out of the ten. I'll give them maybe seven of the ten. The talent gap between these two teams is not as big as the final score was tonight. There were some pretty bad coaching decisions on the Kansas City side. They really didn't adjust to the game as it went along, and it's one of the things I want to get into a little bit is how you're supposed to attack what Tampa Bay was doing defensively from just a pure, I know this because I've watched a lot of football, and you know, I hate using this as a reasoning, but like, I've played Madden, and the principles are still the same. If a team is blitzing you with four, you need to use inside runs, and you need to use screen passes, and you need to use things to protect your bad offensive line. You need to find a way to adapt to the fact that Mike Remmers and Andrew Wiley can't block anything off the edges. And they never really did that. They forced Mahomes to try and make plays every single play. Mahomes is still the best player in the NFL that's not Aaron Donald. I don't care what the final score of that game was. I don't care what Max Kellerman, what Stephen A., what Skip Bayless, what Rob Parker... What any single talking head in sports media says on Monday, that loss was not Patrick Mahomes' fault. And if you think it was, you watched a different game from me. That man was running for his goddamn life every single snap. Then you throw in the drops. Kelsey had a pair of 
brutal drops on what would have been first down conversions. Tyreek Hill dropped the touchdown. Sammy Watkins dropped the touchdown. The plays for Kansas City to win this game were there. There was ample opportunity for Kansas City to win this football game. And they did not make the plays in the situations that required them. And that's not me saying that they didn't make the plays, so they lost. It's there were third and eights, third and sevens, third and nines, where Mahomes would drop back. Someone was coming in unblocked. And there was one where it was a design screen to Darrell Williams to the right. And Darrell Williams did not turn back to look for the ball until Mahomes had already let go of it because he was under such pressure. It was extremely frustrating to watch from someone who knows that the Chiefs are better than how they played tonight. I said in the preview on Friday that Tampa Bay's speed, their horizontal sideline-to-sideline speed, whether you're talking about Levante David or Devin White, is as elite as possible. And they did a really good job underneath not giving the easy completions keeping everything in front of them, and taking advantage of mismatches. There's very few guys in the NFL who can block Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul on a regular basis. So having two backups in there means, okay, we only need to rush four, so we get to drop seven. And if we sit in a zone, seven guys, and we're bracketing Tyreek Hill, where the only thing that's open are Travis Kelsey underneath throws, That's a pretty tenable situation, and it's why Tampa Bay's defense had success today. They kept Tyreek Hill if they were going to line him up with, all right, so we're going to have a corner with outside leverage protecting the sideline and a safety towards the middle of the field with inside leverage protecting the hash. That way, there's really nowhere for for Mahomes to throw the ball to Hill. And it's one of the things that was really noticeable today was that Tyreek Hill really didn't get going in this game until the game was pretty much already over. It, it cannot be overstated how impressive Tampa Bay's defense was in this game. For, for the sake of me using analytics, for the sake of me sticking to my brand here, Tampa Bay's defense forced a negative EPA in running in and passing situations for Kansas City, which is really, really hard to do. From an objective standpoint, it's one of the more impressive things I've seen in a long time. This Kansas City offense is walking mismatches, but they found a way. Tampa Bay's defense, and lots of credit to Todd Bowles, they got cooked the first time these two teams met up back in Week 12, but they found a way to limit Tyree Kill, to keep Kelsey out of the game until it was already time for Kansas City to be playing catch-up, and it made for a pretty unentertaining game if you're not a football nerd. I've established that, my opinion, Tampa's defense is the story of this game. The second thing I have written down here, unfortunately, is penalties. No one ever wants to talk about officiating. The great Rich Eisen often says, you have to play better than the officials officiate. But the disparity in calls in the first half was egregious. If you want to say... Well, it's the Super Bowl, your execution has to be perfect. Okay, I can live with that. You want to make that point? Sure. I 
still don't understand how they threw the flag on the second pass interference call that Mike Evans drew, where Tom Brady threw a ball that was so high and over Mike Evans' head, it hit the wall outside of the back of the end zone, and the referee still threw a flag for pass interference on a ball that was uncatchable. You want to say the play before that, where Brashad Breeland tripped, and then because he tripped, he took Mike Evans down? You want to say that's a penalty? I'll disagree with you. I'll say it's incidental contact because Breland fell. You want to argue that's a penalty? I can hear that. Okay. I disagree, but I understand it. The second one is not a penalty on any planet. Mike Evans isn't catching that ball. There's no chance Mike Evans is catching that ball, and I will not be hearing otherwise from anyone. Anytime officiating is part of the game, that means they fucked up. Just point blank. I don't care what Gene Steratour says. I don't get care about what John Perry says. I don't care what any of the rules of experts on the network say. They always say the officials are right, and it was bad. The end of the first half was a bad a stretch of officiating as I can see. The Buccaneers ran the all-PI Michigan offense from like five years ago and got the entire length of the field in 40 seconds. Yes, Kansas City should, probably shouldn't have used those timeouts when they stopped them on third down and then subsequently allowed a third down. If you want to say they should just go into the half at 14-6, you're probably right. But calling the timeouts was the aggressive play. It was done with the intention of getting the ball back. And I think it's the right call. If you get them off the field there, you give Pat Mahomes the ball with 30, 40 seconds, and he can still do something. Again, I hate talking about officiating. It sucks when officials are part of the story because it means they overshadowed the game, which is never the point. Anytime the officials are talked about, it means they're not doing their job correctly. It means that people watching the game felt that it should have been called differently because we had access to more angles, and it's why officiating guys down on the field from, you know, field level, from set positions that were established like 40 years ago, is probably not the best way to adjudicate penalties, especially in the Super Bowl, and it's why I still think college has the pass interference rule right where it should be 15 yards as opposed to a spot foul because neither the Mike Evans one in the end zone nor the one down the sideline on the previous play, neither of those were clear-cut pass interference penalties. And in my opinion, you only throw a pass interference penalty if it's obvious because it is a spot foul because the, the penalty awarded is so severe. I did not like either of the flags. If you want to give... Tampa Bay the first one because he knocked Evans down even though he fell and you know incidental contact is part of the wording of the rule fine whatever I disagree I understand it the second one is one of the worst calls I've seen pass interference wise in a long time just a really rough job from Carl Sheffers and his crew um moving down the line here when we talk about this game down the road, Kansas City's defense was nothing to write home about today. It did a decent job. Tampa Bay was only 4 out of 12 on third down, which is pretty good. You want to be somewhere less than 30% on fourth down, on third down conversions, rather. That's a sign of a defense that's playing pretty well. They did a decent job from a coverage standpoint. They only gave up 201 passing yards. 
the biggest problem, honestly, was the underneath stuff where Fournette was taking plays down the field, and obviously the pass interference calls, which, if you see the officials are calling the ticky-tack things, you have to adjust and be a little less aggressive on the ball, which isn't fair, but that's the way the league is set up, that's why the, the way the rules are, so you have to adjust and you can't be as aggressive. There were none of the Chris Jones batted balls down at the line of scrimmage. Frank Clark was pretty much non-existent in this game. Tyron Matthew made a few plays on the ball. The interception he had got called back for a pretty meh penalty, which I didn't agree with. I thought the officiating in general was pretty bad in the first half, and then by the time the second half rolled around, the game was kind of more or less over. Kansas City was just chasing the entire second half. Uh, Rashad Breland looked horrendous in coverage where he was dealing with Mike Evans a lot. He didn't accomplish much. And they got cooked by pretty old man Rob Gronkowski. I mean, Gronk had something, I think, seven catches for around 70-something yards and two touchdowns. Gronk was not good in the regular season. He had a couple of nice stat line games. But relatively speaking, we're talking about a guy who is a shell of the guy he was in New England. He's significantly slower. He has a hard time running in a straight line, getting up to full speed. As I'm looking to my right, the post-game stuff is still on. I'm seeing Gronk talking with Antoine Winfield at the moment. But I wasn't impressed with Gronk during the regular season. He had some nice he had nice stats because he had red zone numbers. He caught quite a few touchdowns. He absolutely cooked the Chiefs today in coverage. I, I said on Friday that the biggest weakness on the Chiefs' defense was that middle-of-the-field area, whether you're talking about Sorensen or Hitchens. The linebackers and the safeties that aren't Tyrod Matthew are bad, and they struggle in pass coverage, and if the pass rush isn't working, their downfield coverage doesn't do as well. So there's a lot to unpack. I have to rewatch this game. I need the all-22-foot video to come out. I think that'll come out Tuesday, usually. I will have another podcast episode about the Super Bowl down the road once I've had a chance to rewatch it and digest it, take notes of a formation's personnel, be able to pause, be able to rewind, watch it with the attentiveness it deserves because there were some key plays that swung the game that weren't just the Mike Evans pass interference flags, which from a momentum standpoint, if you believe in momentum, definitely swung the game because... Kansas City's defense had done a nice job of getting them off the field on third down early on, but those penalties add up. Whether you talk about the two pass interferences that Mike Evans drew, you talk about the Miko Hardman lining up off sides on the field goal. Those are killers. You can't have those in the Super Bowl against another good team. Special teams were a real problem for Kansas City, especially in the first quarter where their punter, he bombed one, and they committed a holding because the guy, the personal protector, knew he was beat, so he held the guy so that the punt didn't get blocked. And then subsequently, the punt was shanked, short field, only have to go 40 yards. Kansas City special teams were not great. Their punt coverage was not great. The going sides there on that field goal situation is just unacceptable from Hardman, who should know better at this point. I don't know how after what happened with D. Ford in the AFC title game in 2018, the Chiefs' field goal unit doesn't have that to a science. I mean, let's be frank here. Patrick Mahomes should have gone to three straight Super Bowls, but because D. Ford lined up offsides, they didn't. 
have thought that the Chiefs would know better, but again, very bad performance from the Kansas City coaching staff, which is something I often say in these kinds of situations where a team just looks out of its depth and uncomfortable the entire time, is that the coaching staff had a singular game plan, and because that game plan didn't work, they didn't know. Didn't know what to do, and you saw there was a struggle today. Kansas City could not get into a rhythm on offense until the game was more or less over, and even then, Mahomes is still running for his life. Aside from Tampa Bay's pass rush, I do think the story of this game is coaching. Tampa Bay's game plan wasn't sexy, there wasn't chunk plays, there wasn't a weird one, there wasn't a crazy outside-the-box mentality where they tried to do some unorthodox or some exotic things. They rushed the passer with four. They made Tyreek Hill get open against double coverage. They forced Mahomes to settle for underneath things, and they had Mahomes running for his life. And then on offense, it wasn't sexy. Brady only had 200 yards passing. Fournette had 80-something rushing, Ronald Jones had a couple rushing yards, a lot of screens, a lot of checkdowns, nothing overly flashy, but they kept the ball moving, they didn't turn the ball over, which was big, they didn't give Kansas City any extra possessions, they controlled the flow of the game, they had Kansas City's defense off balance, which, if you've been listening to the show since the beginning, is one of the key things I've talked about all year in football, is that It doesn't matter if you're a run-first or a pass-first team. It matters if you can do both in any situation. If you can keep the defense off balance where they're guessing what you're going to do, you're going to have an advantage. And Tampa Bay had that advantage tonight where no matter what the situation was, what down, how many yards to gain, they could have ran the ball, they could have thrown the ball. They had options, which is what you want as a play caller on offense. You want your guys to have opportunities to make plays. The touchdowns tonight, both the Gronk ones, pretty wide open. The Antonio Brown one was a nice catch. He shielded the ball from the defender using his body, and it was a nice catch. And, you know, the the Antonio Brown storyline is something that isn't going to be talked about because, you know, ESPN, CBS, NBC, Fox are all partners of the NFL. They're not news organizations, no matter how much they try and pretend they are. And it's why the whole, they refer to Antonio Brown as troubled instead of an accused rapist and sexual assault person. Yeah, that's what you should be calling him. There was a really interesting story today in Sports Illustrated where a journalist from the Netherlands wrote a story about the American coverage of Tyreek Hill in the media, how it's not talked about that the reason he was able, the Chiefs were able to draft him is that he fell too late in the draft because he got kicked out of the NCAA FBS school he went to and then had to go to junior college and ended up at Southern Alabama. And yeah, that's part of this narrative that isn't going to be talked about a lot. And it's part of why all of the, we got to give Bruce Arians a lot of credit thing kind of doesn't sit right with me. The whole, well, yeah, he brought in Antonio Brown, someone who was accused of rape and sexual assault, and his entire reasoning was, trust me, basically, is what Bruce Arians said on more than one occasion, that we got to let the justice system play out, and uh, it 
it just doesn't sit right with me. It makes me feel kind of gross that, you know, he's going to get credit for doing such a great job when in reality, you know, he compromised his morals to try and win football games, which isn't good. It just, after all of the things that have gone on in the football universe, whether you talk about Tyree Kill, you talk about Antonio Brown, you talk about Ray Rice, whatever you want to talk about in that sphere of off-the-field issues, of credible claims of domestic violence, that kind of thing, all of those things are extremely problematic, and it's why the NFL being partners with the organizations that cover it is, it's not right. And it's why these stories don't linger on people like they should. As for just coaching in general, you got to give Arians credit, unfortunately. The staff called a great game. He always says, I let my guys do their thing. Bowles calls the defense. Byron Leftwich calls the offense. And that's that. The thing I do want to talk about a little bit is Kansas City's coaching staff because I say this a lot in every sport is you don't know what to do until you're in that situation. And Kansas City went almost basically a full season without ever really being in a stressful situation where they had to adapt and they weren't the team setting the tempo for the game. And it showed today that Andy Reid... Eric Bieniemy and Steve Spagnuolo hadn't faced any adversity in a while because Spags had a pretty rough game, especially in the first half, where they just could not stop Tampa's underneath stuff, and they kept picking up chunk plays, they kept missing tackles. I mean, on the one Leonard Fournette rushing touchdown, he went into the end zone untouched. Not a single soul came within a fingernail of him. He was on into the distance. Gone. And it was just frustrating to watch because Kansas City's defense was smothering against the Bills offense two weeks ago where Josh Allen had no idea what he was seeing on defense and he was running for his life like Mahomes was tonight. It was extremely frustrating to see and then as far as offense goes I understand they did not have a starting tackle at either position and that they were relying on Mike Remmers and Andrew Wiley. I get it. I get it. I get it. At the same time, they came into this game knowing the circumstances. They knew they were going to be relying on backups against an elite pass rush. And they had no answers. They did try and run a couple of screens. One screen worked. There was not a single Travis Kelsey screen in this game, by the way. There were quite a few targeting Darrell Williams. There was one to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and neither of them worked. It was frustrating. And the few times that Kansas City did try and do an inside run, they did end up picking up four or five yards, which, you know, in theory, down a score, two scores, you don't want to be running the ball because you're not getting enough progress, and I decry teams trying to keep some semblance of a run-pass balance in situations where they're trailing by a lot because passing is a lot more efficient. But in a game like this, where the momentum clearly swung towards the other team, 
trying to bleed into a drive that could help build a little bit of confidence for your offensive line and your quarterback, it would have helped tonight. I'm not saying they should have ran the ball 35 times and tried to make this a 17-14 game. I am saying that they probably should have tried to run a couple of more times in situations just to give Mahomes a little bit more flexibility because the Tampa defense was essentially sitting past the entire second half, and there was just no room for him. Uh, another thing that irked me about Kansas City's game plan, they settled for field goals. Wait, they only scored three field goals. They should have gone for it instead of settling the field goal two of the three times. You want to say first possession, first drive of the game, you just want to get points on the board to set the tone. Fine, I disagree with it, but they should have gone for the first down both of the other times. Just because Tampa Bay was so far ahead, you had to score some touchdowns. Field goals were not ever going to win this game, and it's unfortunate that Andy Reid got away from what made their team successful during the regular season. Being aggressive on early downs and being aggressive on fourth down are the keys to winning in the modern NFL, and it sucks that the Chiefs just weren't able to do it today because JPP was just eating Andrew Wiley's lunch and Shaq Barrett was eating Mike Remmer's lunch. There are answers to a strong pass rush, but Kansas City just did not have them. From a scheme perspective, there were no traps, there were no whams, there were none of the RP. There were very few RPOs because they didn't trust the offensive line enough to block long enough for an RPO to develop a lot of the time. It was it was unfortunate for Kansas City, is how I want to put it. They played not to lose instead of trying to win the game, and it's why they lost. Going a little bit about the adjustments, I do would have liked to have seen Kansas City try and do something unorthodox to get a spark. Whether you want to have Travis Kelsey throw the ball, whether you want to do something with Hardman and Tyreek Hill both in the backfield on some kind of motion concept, or some kind of underneath where you run something. Just, this was a kitchen sink environment where you could not get anything going on offense. You think about all the times New England had its back against the wall in their playoff games. Belichick always had a double pass in there somewhere, whether it was Edelman throwing to Amendola, someone throwing to Brady. These teams all have those kind of kitchen sink plays where Alright, well, we look or to be in dire straits. We need a first down or a touchdown here. What do we got? Where was the wheel route to Tyree Kill that they ran four times the first time these two teams met? Where was the jet motion touch pass to Miko Hardman running laterally and then a reverse back across the field to another receiver going the opposite way? There needed to be more creativity on offense because the defense set the tone in this game, and it's impossible, impossible to win if the other team's defense is dictating the flow of the game. And flowing here easily into the narrative part of this, where I want to talk about things I took away from this game, very similar to Super Bowl 50, like I said in the introduction, for a number of reasons. Number one, quarterback play for the team that won was not the determining factor. 
Peyton Manning in Super Bowl 50 was pretty lackluster. Not a lot of counting stats. Not a lot of passing touchdowns. Nothing to write home about. Brady was fine today. He didn't make any extraordinary throws. He didn't do anything crazy. He hit his open guys. They made plays after the catch. He threw a couple of close balls that got DPIs thrown on them. I was not too impressed with Tampa Bay's offense. Kansas City taking the bad penalties today killed them. The drops killed them. But the similarities are there. Because the entirety of watching that game, the Broncos-Panthers game, I watched it on NFL Network. It was on either Wednesday or Thursday night. I forget which night I was watching it in the background while I was also watching hockey. But I just kept expecting the Panthers. I kept expecting Cam Newton to just find something. He did it all year with that lackluster receiving core where it was like Devin Funches, Jericho Cotchery, Greg Olson. It wasn't sexy, but he found a way. The same thing tonight. I kept expecting Mahomes to just do something Mahomes-like. Whether he's throwing across his body, finding someone open, I kept waiting for someone to make something happen, and it just never came. I thought the Panthers were going to win that Super Bowl because I thought the Panthers were the better team. I kept thinking Kansas City was going to find a way tonight because Kansas City is a better team. They just did not play like it. And it's one of the things that the narratives, that the talking head, that the national sports media overlooks is we don't talk about enough why things happen during the course of a game. Why was Tampa Bay's defense able to dominate? Because Kansas City did not do anything to adjust. They did not go to two, any two tight end sets. They did not go to any two back sets. They didn't do anything to give Mahomes extra protection. They kept sitting in 11 personnel. They kept letting four guys get pressure. There was no adjustment. From a narrative standpoint, the other thing I want to talk about is just Yes, Tom Brady was good this year for him. He's the only quarterback over 40 to throw for 40 touchdowns. He had a nice season. He didn't do anything extraordinary. He was never better than the 8th or ninth best quarterback in the league during the regular season. And that's fine. You can win the Super Bowl with the 8th or ninth best quarterback. But they were fortunate in this, this playoff run. They beat Washington in the wild card round pretty convincingly. And that's fine. They beat New Orleans because Drew Brees threw a bunch of picks. They beat Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers wasn't given the trust of his head coach to go down and win the game on fourth and goal. They won this game because Kansas City's offense had no plan and Kansas City got a bunch of bad penalties thrown against them. I was never too impressed with what Tampa Bay was doing from any phase of the game, especially on offense. Defense, their defense was worthy of crit of praise. The defense was worthy of praise, but their offense couldn't wasn't anything miraculous. I mean, Brady actively almost lost them the NFC title game, throwing three picks in the second half, forcing the ball in the tight windows, throwing the guys who weren't open while he was under pressure instead of just throwing the ball away. There, there was nothing otherworldly. It was a fine quarterbacking performance tonight. Yeah, I, I wasn't too blown away. Like, I get it. The guy won his seventh Super Bowl. He's got the best paper resume of any quarterback. You want to say that? That's fine. I wasn't blown away. I don't know why Saquon Barkley's tweeting, if you don't know, now you know. Like, it's a big secret that Tom Brady's good at football. 
No one's shocked that the Buccaneers won this game. They were three-point underdogs. This wasn't some mind-boggling upset. A lot of people thought Tampa Bay was going to win this game, to be honest. It's not an insane result. I didn't think Tampa Bay would win. If Tam- I thought if Tampa Bay was going to win this game, it was going to be a close, like, one-possession kind of game. I thought if it was going to be a blowout, it would have been a Kansas City blowout, but that would have required Kansas City's offensive line getting off of the plane at some point this week in Tampa to give them a chance to win. Wrapping up the narrative portion of this segment, I do want to talk a little bit about just... Tampa Bay didn't make mistakes this playoff run, and it's the reason they managed to win a Super Bowl. It's been a hallmark of a lot of Brady teams during his career. Is His team isn't always the better team. His team has just often made fewer mistakes. Tonight, Kansas City made the mistakes. There wasn't any of the big stuff you expect from Kansas City. There was no Tyreek Hill, there was no Miko Hardman, there was no Mahomes magic, there was no, oh, I forgot Sammy Watkins can occasionally be good at football. There was no Travis Kelsey insane play over the middle where he made a guy miss. Uh, Mahomes tried his damnedest. I mean, I am still thinking about him throwing that one ball perpendicular to the ground that should have been caught, but Sammy Watkins dropped. I mean... Tyreek Hill dropped a touchdown. Travis Kelsey had a couple of bad drops. I mean, I'm looking at the stat now. Mahomes had 56 dropbacks in the entire game. 29 of them he was pressured on. That's an otherworldly stat. According to SportsCenter, that's the most that's ever happened in NFL history. That's the most times a quarterback's ever been pressured. And it's no wonder they weren't able to get anything going on offense because they were so overmatched. Now... The last thing I want to talk about here before I get everyone out of here to go dread the narrative circus that's going to be this week in the football universe where it's just going to be about Brady instead of about Kansas City losing. Because I think that's the story of this game, is that Kansas City did not have a game plan for success. I talk about this a lot. In football... So much of what happens on Sunday comes down to your preparation, your execution, your preparedness. Do your guys know what to do in certain situations? Tampa Bay knew what to do in those key situations tonight. Kansas City did not. They took the stupid penalties. They took the questionable penalties. And yes, unfortunately, pass interference is a judgment call and officials have bad judgment. And it's why you get things that happen like that last drive before the half where Mike Evans drew two meh pass interference flags uh, in a span of a couple plays. It's infuriating to watch. I was, I will say this. Tampa Bay deserves credit for having the dominant defense they did. Kansas City deserves some blame for not having a plan to adjust to the pass rush is where I will leave that portion of this. I was disappointed in Kansas City. I expected more from them from an offensive perspective just because they have such, they historically, they've got such a creative offense where they break out these weird plays, these weird pre-snap motions, these unconventional looks. They steal things from college, whether you want to talk about the RPOs, the tight end screens, the stuff that puts their most athletic players in positional mismatches, where you're talking about Tyreek Hill on a linebacker in coverage, or Tyreek Hill on a safety, 
or Travis Kelsey on a nickel corner. You want to find those matchups to exploit. For the very last segment on this episode, because I don't want to dwell on this too much, because I haven't had a chance to rewatch the game yet, and I do want to be able to approach it from a more precise standpoint after a rewatch, so I'm going to wrap up with this. I do want to talk a little bit about the composition of the Buccaneers roster, because I do think there are things we can learn here. They've got a lot of high-end talent on this roster, and they've put together a really nice team over a number of years. They draft Evans in the top 10, Mike Evans. They draft Devin White in the top 10. They draft Vita Vea in the top 10. And then everyone else is second rounders, third rounders, day three guys, or outside the organization guys. Ronald Jones, second round pick. Chris Godwin, Chris Godwin, third round pick. Cameron Brait, undrafted free agent. Donovan Smith, second round pick. Tristan Wirfs, first round pick in the teens. Kappa, third round pick. Marpet, second round pick. Jensen, the center, free agent. Golston, fourth round pick. Jason Pierre-Paul, trade. Indomitian Sue, free agent. Shaq Barrett, free agent. Levante David, second round pick. Sean Murphy Bunning, second round pick. Carlton Davis, second round pick. Tahir Whitehead, fourth round pick. Antoine Winfield, second round pick. You can win with guys you draft. Second round picks are almost as important as first round picks. A second round pick is a starter if you are a good organization. I don't want to hear anything else about, well, these are projects, these are... You can find starters in the second round of every single draft. You want to take a quarterback and sit him on your bench behind someone else? you got to be a good team to be doing that. You've got to be like someone pretty close to winning already. If the Packers had taken Jordan Love in the second round last year and not A.J. Dillon, and they took someone that could have made an impact for them in the first round, I would have questioned it a little bit less. Your second round pick is so valuable. It's why you can't be just throwing them into bad trades. And Ryan Clark made this point on SportsCenter, and I disdain Ryan Clark for a lot of his really bad football opinions because they're quite obvious knee-jerk reactions. His point was that the Buccaneers don't win the Super Bowl without Tom Brady because of all the guys who came in because they wanted to play with Tom Brady, because of Gronk, because of Antonio Brown, who, you know, you probably shouldn't want on your football team, and because of Leonard Fournette, who Brady is the one who told Fournette Tampa would take him, and I don't know how important Leonard Fournette was, how important Antonio Brown, how important Gronk was. I think you could have, if they had to use Ronald Jones to the level they used Leonard Fournette, they would have been fine. Running backs are a product of their environment and the scheme, not so much their pure talent. The most talented running backs struggle behind bad offensive lines. Antonio Brown had a couple of catches. Gronk had a nice game, but... If you had to force all those to Cameron Braid, they uh they would have been fine, is what I want to say, and why I'm not bowing at the altar of Brady for this Super Bowl like I did when the Patriots won one two years ago against the Rams, 
or four years ago when they beat the Falcons. This wasn't Tom Brady, and that's fine. You can win a Super Bowl without your quarterback being the best player. It's just very difficult to do in today's day and age where the rules are so heavily favored towards offense. That's kind of where I wanted to end the episode on the note of where football is at the moment, because this podcast was born of a frustration with the way my teams were being built by front office executives who were thinking things in outdated terms, and you cannot bank on a defense year to year to be the driving forces of your success. I think the Buccaneers defense is pretty young it's pretty sustainable but there's no way of knowing how well it will play next year is my main takeaway we think about that bears defense from two years ago we think about the jaguars defense from four years ago it's possible to have an elite defense for one single year i don't know if it's possible to bank on that being your driving force of success for multiple years in a row. Buccaneers don't win this game this way with an average defense. An average defense? Alright. For the purposes of a thought exercise, if the Chiefs are playing the Packers instead, the Packers have a good pass rush. Rashawn Gary is a good edge rusher. Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, they're good edge rushers. They can get some pressure. Uh, they're not winning 31-9 because they're not making Mahomes this uncomfortable, this off-balance. I really was impressed with Tampa Bay's defense, and I know I've said that a number of times on this episode, but it's worth repeating because it's just so rare for a defense to be this key in the result of a game in the world of football in which we're in. I mean... You've heard me on this podcast for months now, whether it was with a guest or by myself, saying, yeah, defense is nice and all, but at the end of the day, it's a matter of who can score more points in a close game because offense is more sustainable than defense because offenses are the ones dictating the flow of the game because they're the ones who are calling a play. The defense has to react to what the offense is doing. That's on a normal basis. Tonight, Tampa Bay's defense were the ones setting the tone. It forced Kansas City to be the team guessing, and it's why Kansas City lost this game. They were the ones guessing on offense for the first time in the better part of two years, I'll say. I I don't know if I've ever seen Kansas City's offense with Mahomes look this disjointed and uncomfortable. It really is remarkable. Todd Bowles deserves a whole lot of credit. As for the show the rest of this week, please subscribe, leave a review if you use Apple Podcasts for your podcast, follow if you're on Spotify or SoundCloud, if you're on Stitcher, you know, Audio Boom, Google Play, whatever platform you want to use, please follow, subscribe, download the podcast, all of that good stuff. Be sure to be following me at Nick Sararis on Twitter. Be sure to be following the blog at Gotham SN. We'll have some Super Bowl content this week, kind of. I'll probably do something after re-watching the game once it goes up on Game Pass where I'll break down some key plays as for what worked for Tampa that let the play function, that kind of thing. 
And then a little later in the week, once the Rangers play another game, because they don't play till Wednesday, because they were supposed to play the Devils, but the Devils have COVID. So after the Ranger game on Wednesday against the Bruins, I will have something Rangers later in the week. As for the podcast, looking at a little bit of football, a little bit of hockey, and maybe basketball this week, possibly soccer, gotta see, might be able to get a Liverpool episode together because... My poor Reds are in disarray, and it was not pretty today against City. Yeah, Liverpool got to get it together. Um, Very sad football season is over, and it's going to be a very long five and a half months until we can start talking about training camp. And God willing, a vast majority of the United States is vaccinated at that point, and we can talk about a normal football season, which would be very nice. I would like to be able to go to some football games next year whether we're talking NFL or college, but at the very least, it is draft season. The Jacksonville Jaguars are officially on the clock, and they are taking Trevor Lawrence to Clemson, and then the intrigue starts with the Jets. And number two, it's draft season, people. It's a mock draft. They're coming. There are going to be at least three mock drafts on the podcast. I will see you guys tomorrow. Damn it, Brady.